Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Welcome to Black and Lit, powered by Full Service Radio. We're your hosts, Jasmine and Priscilla. And we're broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. Black and Lit is a multimedia brand celebrating dope black people doing the things they love without boundaries. Each week, we're bringing you inspiring stories of tastemakers, artists, and entrepreneurs of color who are taking risks to create the life they want. All right, so we're getting ready to close out 2019, and it's been a major, major year for Black and Lit. We've done a lot of really cool stuff, and I'm personally so proud of us, Priscilla. I'm super excited. <laughs> like, what? Like, I, I feel like we literally manifested this opportunity. All the stuff. We've All manifested. the stuff. So much stuff this year has just been like Jasmine and I sitting on the couch being like, let's do this one day. What if and we then, do this? What if we do this? <laughs> like, words are powerful, and we Hell saw a yeah. lot of that come to light yeah. this year. But the end dope. of the year has really got us reflecting on all the people that have made waves and made a mark in our community and beyond, really. And there's probably one name you've likely heard a lot this past year. You don't even have to be in the food industry or even a resident of D.C. to know that Kwame Onwachi has dominated this year. He is a Washington, D.C.-based chef. He's running a wildly successful Afro-Caribbean restaurant called Kit and Ken. It's in the wharf here in D.C. He's also published a memoir called Notes of a Young Black Chef at only 29 years old. He's won the 2009 James Beard Award for the Rising Star Chef. And if you don't know, the James Beard Award is basically the Oscars of the food world. Like, so many chefs go their whole lives without even seeing one, and Kwame has accomplished this and so much more before the age of 30. Huge welcome to my friend, Kwame Onowachi. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank it's you so much. It's good to be here. Yeah, that thank you so much for coming. That was a hell of an introduction. Yeah? Yeah, it was well, great. Well, thank you. And I feel like there's still so many more accolades that weren't even included in that brief description that Jasmine gave. It goes on and on. It goes on and on. Yeah, it's been a crazy year. Yeah, and I, um, I first came, became familiar with your work actually through... Okay, Africa. They reached out to me and they were like, "Oh, would you like to interview Kwame this year? Um, we would love to learn more about his restaurant, Kith and Ken." So, reached out, did the interview with mm-hmm. you, which was really dope. Um, but are you burnt out yet? You've had such <laughs> like a winning year. I Question feel like win after win after win. <laughs> like you have a movie that is about to come out. There's yeah. like there's so much happening. It's wild. I mean, I think I live in a state of anxiety. So. Um, I'm not burnt out. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, it's normalized for me. You okay. know, I thrive in it at this point. Um, and I think, you know, for most creatives and people that are entrepreneurs, when you don't have anything going on is when you're like freaking yeah. out. Mm-hmm. I so feel that. now that I have always something to do every single day, yeah. um, 
It's, it's a like good feeling. a comfort in that anxiety in yeah, a weird way. Exactly. I totally get that. Exactly. So your story is an interesting one because I mean you've had obviously like a ton of major wins, including this movie deal that we will get to in a few minutes, but <laughs> you've also experienced like a very public failure after mm-hmm. the closing of your first restaurant, which was the Shaw Bijou mm-hmm. after only eleven months. And you had some difficulties growing up in the Bronx. Yeah. Your mom sent you to Nigeria for being a badass little kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she did, she didn't play at yeah. all. Yeah, and then you came back to the states and sold drugs. So yeah, I was still a piece of shit when I got back. It, okay, it, it, it didn't really turn me around that much, but um, but yeah, I think what what Nigeria did for me was really teach me what to appreciate here. And as I got mm. older, um, those things that I needed to appreciate became more apparent. You know, like cold like water. Cold water. <laughs> like there's electricity. No cold water in Nigeria Just, at the well, time? well, you know, there's not that e- easy access to water. Right. You know, we had to go and fetch our own water. We had to boil it three times and strain it before we could even drink it. Mm. So that easy access to, you know, the basic things that we have here electricity, um, going to the grocery store and getting a yeah. pack of chicken wings or whatever. Like, I had to raise all that when I was out there. How old were you when you were there? I was uh, 10, 10 to 12. So mm. she told me I was going out there for two weeks and then um, left me there for two years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How did you feel being there for two years? Were you like I was trying to contact your mom and be like, send me back? Or did you sort of fall in love with being there and learning it, all of those things? Just like this newfound um, storm that I'm in, mm-hmm. it became normalized and it became home and it became comforting. To go and fetch the water. Right. And str- that became like a ritual, you know? Um, Do you have so- any food memories from that time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember I didn't eat for a month straight just because of the food was so polarizing to me. Yeah. You know, coming from living in America. Now I ate Nigerian food every now and then, a goosey stew. This is staples, like mm-hmm. pepper soup. Mm-hmm. But we had like okra stew, which was like the slimiest thing I've ever seen that in my entire life. That sounds delicious to me. <laughs> it sounds good as an adult, but as yeah. a 10-year-old kid, right. You're like, seeing what the hell a is plop this? of, you know, a spoon go down and lift it up and the string is still Ooh, to yum. the spoon. I don't think that's my thing. I can do fried okra, but Just mm, give me this okra. not a, not no, a, not a I love stew. it now. Um, but, um, you know, things like that or onion stew on rice for breakfast, it just wasn't something that I was used to eating. Right. So I ate just ground nuts, just like the, these West African peanuts uh-huh. for a month straight. And yeah. then I tried the okra stew one day. I was really hungry and it was delicious. <laughs> so, like, I have a lot of food memories of, like, um, killing livestock. You know, I... With your bare hands? Yes. Well, what? With a with a blade. No. I wasn't Not with like, his bare I wasn't, like, strangling <laughs> chickens. So I have a mental image of you, like, choking, <laughs> choking, a, choking a chicken. Come here, we're, chicken. We're, oh, God. <laughs> Not with that crazy voice, place right Let's now. move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, like, ripping the hair off of it. I don't even know. think like, Priscilla got the joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never mind. I, I was all over Let's that. move on. Um, but I made the mistake of naming the animals because, uh, you know, oh, I was an American kid. And here's Red and Goofy and this and then yeah. my grandfather's like go get one of the chickens and tells me to choose which one i want to die damn so yeah i mean i have a lot of food memories out there and i think it, it directly attributed to my career mm-hmm. in a sense you know because i knew there was a real sum factor for where things came from right and i knew what it took and what energy it took to produce it yeah so what was the moment that you turned your life around like how did you go from being exiled from your mother's <laughs> home to coming back and hustling on the streets of the bronx well, to 
here. <laughs> well, I was hustling, and then I went to college and continued hustling because I, I just didn't have any money. To, Where'd like, you go to school? Eat, uh, University of Bridgeport. Okay. And I remember my mom sent me to school, and she was like, here's $20 is all I have. And I was wow. like, fuck. Like, I'm, what am I going to do what, How am I going <laughs> to eat? This is like one day's worth of food. Right. So um, I was sitting in my dorm, and my friend, my best friend, he... His mom was a nurse, so, and he lived in the projects, so, like, they didn't pay any rent, and she would send him care packages, so he had all these Hawaiian punches lined up on his, like, shelf over his bed, mm-hmm. and in the Bronx, they sell nutcrackers, which are, like, um... I've had a nutcracker. Okay, cool. Plenty of nutcrackers like, in New York right. in the summertime. I'm not trying festivals. to offend you. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah okay. nutcrackers I'm, were I'm late, so what is a nutcracker? <laughs> it's, like, it's, a, it's like a concoction it's a hood of cocktail. all the liquors. Oh, it's the hood okay. cocktail, and okay. they don't, they don't take ID. Huggy. It's like, it's like do you remember the little huggy that? juice? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's okay. like inside of one of those or like about. a carton. And it's just <laughs> yeah. Like, they feel yeah. like rum punch inside of that. Yeah. And you push yeah. it around in a shopping cart. Yep. In a plastic bag with ice. And you just have to pay $5 and you get it. Got it. Yeah. And yes, obviously they don't check ID. So <laughs> it was something that I grew up always drinking, you know, uh-huh. especially in the summertime. So I saw that and I was like, oh shit. All right. So I just went to the liquor store, bought a bottle of Bacardi. And then asked him to borrow just a pack of his Hawaiian punch, like the single Hawaiian punches. Yeah with the pop tops and I poured half of it out, poured rum in it and sold that. I figured I can charge $10 cause we're out of town. Where you know? were you selling these? Just like walking down the street? In the I Bronx, was in the dorm. Or? I was in oh, my okay. dorm. Oh, I was in the that's college. so smart. Yeah. Okay. So that everyone was like, hell yeah, I'll buy that. That's brilliant. Um, so then that went to, you know, enough money to buy an ounce and enough money to buy a quarter pound and then enough mm. money to buy, you know, of a what? pack of ecstasy pills of weed, <laughs> okay. a quarter pound of weed. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> generally understood. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, we Jasmine's a little late to the game. It's all right. I'm just like, what? What were you? <laughs> I, went, I went to school. A quarter at pound of flour. Um, no, I'm playing. <laughs> n- no, but um, so I remember I was like, then I became really good at it, and then I wasn't even selling to eat. I was selling to like do whatever I wanted to do. It was right. the first time I saw real money. It's expensive to live in New York. Yeah. Um, and then um, Obama became president and I saw him walk across that stage and mm. I never thought I would see a black moment. president. Yeah. I voted for him, but I was like, you know, 35 years ago, we couldn't eat in the same restaurants as certain people. So. Yeah. yeah. I remember sitting in my dorm room at Northeastern, like by myself studying and watching that moment on television yeah. and bawling my eyes out. Yeah. Like that was a very powerful moment. I couldn't <laughs> vote for him the first time. I had just missed the age cut off, wow. unfortunately. But the second time around, yeah, you were there. I yeah. was with, with all the way on. there yeah. with everything, with my Obama T-shirt on, <laughs> like somebody's on a T. Yeah, like you had a calendar in your house. Yeah. So that was your wake-up call. That was yeah. when you were like, "I, I gotta get black my life together." Walk across that stage, and I was like, "What am I doing with my life? Mm. You know, I'm wasting my talents, my charisma, on yeah, on a dead end road. I never, I never met any successful drug dealers where I came from." Right. And even if I did, they were like always ducking the law or ducking adversity. It's a dead end. It's just There's a, no yeah. good that comes out of it. Yeah. So ever. I flushed all of my like ecstasy pills down the toilet. Mm-hmm. I gave away all the plants that I was growing and smoked whatever I had left of the weed. And Smart. This yeah. sounds like paid in full, mm-hmm. but like... <laughs> Priscilla's favorite but, like, but the Eureka no. moment Hayden Full is my favorite movie of all time why is this every dude's favorite movie every dude from New York it's the best movie yeah. ever it is the best movie ever I, all of my references when I'm in the kitchen are Hayden Full literally scary like so I remember when I first saw it um, my dad took me I think it was my ninth birthday or something 
And he's to like, see Paid in Full? No, oh, I, I didn't want to see. I, he was like, what do you want to go see? I was like, Santa Claus 2, obviously. It just came out. He was like, nah, little man, we're going to see Paid in Full. Oh, hell no. And I'm like... Oh. At nine years old? Yeah. And I watched it. And At I, 31 years old, that movie that scared, scared me. So. Yeah, I loved it. I was really scared, though, but I, I loved it. Yeah. It was great. Because I was, I was Sonny's age, you know? Yeah. And look what happened to Sonny. Look what happened Lord to Sonny. Mercy. Killed my like, little man. They killed his Anybody little man. Anybody ever get me funny? <laughs> or owes me money? I haven't recovered from that, no. personally. He's dead, B. Jasmine and I That's recently my, watched that movie. That is my movie. It is and my boyfriend's on, favorite movie. It's on Netflix. Yeah. And I watched it, and it was good. Yeah. I like all the little cameos that I had that to they had, but. step away afterwards. Well, it was produced by, you know, Rockefeller Records. Exactly, so. Mm-hmm. exactly. So... In your early 20s, mm-hmm. you had to hustle on the subway, the legitimate way, yeah. in order to After get I sold your a shit ton of drugs, <laughs> I'm out there selling candy. You were selling candy on the subway. I feel like you usually see people doing that that are actually nine years old or 10 mm-hmm. years old, but you did in your early 20s. Yeah, because I, I, was, I was on game of what they were doing. They were, they were making a lot of money, but also people don't know that that's like a racketeering ring. So they send out I these kids. I always wondered that. Yeah, yeah. And then the kids have to come back and report the money or they get beat up or they can't go Damn. back out and make more money. And it started from my projects from from in the Bronx. So I almost got beat up one time. I didn't know how rigorous it was. Uh-huh. And these two older kids or same age as me came uh-huh. on the train and were about to jump me because I was on their cipher. On which their th- turf. There's a word <laughs> for it, a cipher, like their train route. Yeah. yeah. And then I was able to pass a couple codes that only someone that lived on Webster would know and they didn't beat me up. And I was just like, what? I don't have time for this. I'm a grown ass man. You were about to get beat up by 11 year old kids? No, no, no. They no. were my age. <laughs> so this was like the turf area to sell the candy, right? It's or? everyone has their own cipher. Okay. So you have, you're appointed the E train or you're appointed the F train or something like That's that. That's wild. So I've, I stumbled upon someone else's turf and didn't know that there were turf wars. With the candy sales. Yeah. That's wild. And Unfortunately for me, I didn't stumble upon 11-year-olds. I stumbled upon like (laughs) 27-year-olds. That's crazy. How long did you have to do that? I did it for two months. For only two months? Yeah. How much money? So you were doing, why were you doing this? Like, what was the end goal of selling candy? I was starting a catering company. Okay. Yeah. How much money did you need to sort of $20,000. And you made twenty thousand mm. in in two, two months. In two months, I did it. I, well, I did let me eight hours shift. Quit my job and start selling candy. Were those did, edible? Right? Don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did eight hour shifts. I was like, if I'm going to be out here as a grown ass man on the train, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> dipping in and out. <laughs> right. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. So I had the pleasure of seeing you yesterday at an event called Story District. Mm-hmm. Um, Breaking Bread is what they called it. So they had mm-hmm. some of the top culinary personalities come yeah. tell stories that meant a lot, lot to fun. them. I thought you were hilarious. Thank I thought you. you were amazing. You told a couple stories that like actually really stuck with me, mm-hmm. um, which I guess are also in your book. Um, but I feel actually, like... Actually, none of those or only the... I don't think any of them were in my book besides the really? catering one, the one that uh, I met that lady in. Did yeah, that so event. that's the one I want to hear about because... <laughs> Priscilla and I talk about this a lot just in our personal life. Like, I feel like oftentimes we have an idea of where we want to be or, like, mm-hmm. the, the type of person that we are. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're not there yet. So you kind of have to, like, fake it till you make it. Of course. And, you know, I mean... Because perception is reality for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. And, like, if I walk somebody... Let's say I wanted to open up a restaurant in 
Sausalito, right? And I was like, hey, come to my hotel that I have. It's called the Line Hotel. I'll show you my restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then I walk in here and we don't even go into the restaurant and eat, but we sit down and talk. But I'm like, yeah, my restaurant's in the back there. They're more right. inclined to open a restaurant with you just because of that facade. Yeah, if you believe yeah. it, other people will believe yeah. it. You yeah. fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people are very shallow. So like, as long as they think you're doing well, they'll right. give you an opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to know if you're good enough to like actually um, excel or perform in that arena. So, so tell us this story where this happened to you and it ended with a $20,000 check in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, I was, um, I was actually dating this girl who was like a celebrity yoga instructor and she was just like, you know, you need to be doing like better and like bigger things. I'm doing, yeah, yeah. I'm doing this thing with Soho house. You need to come by and check it out. Like Steve Stout's going to be there. So I was like, all right, cool. So I went there and, you know, I bought his book and translations. I'm, yeah. No, um, the tanning of tanning America. Of America, yeah. And I walked up to him and I was like, "Hey, man, like I have this catering company, you know, if you need, it probably, you probably throw a lot of parties. Like, let me know." Yeah. And he was boss. like, "Oh man, yeah, young brother doing doing his thing, right?" Like, Stephanie, come here, like get his number and we'll we'll be in touch. I'll, I'll hit you up this week. I was like, "All right, cool." So a week went by, I didn't hear from him. Two weeks went by, I heard nothing. Three weeks, I'm like, all right, fuck it. Like, I'm going to find out where he is in New York City, and I'm going to find him, and I'm going to approach him. And mm -hmm. he'll understand, yeah. you know? Like, he's, he'll see the hustler in me. And I found out he's doing a book signing. I signed up. I bought the book again. I waited in line. And when I saw him, I'm like, hey, man, like, you never called me. Like, what's up? Like, you said you were going to give me opportunity. And he was just like... You just approached Steve Stout. Again, <laughs> like, yeah. He was, and he was just like, get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> like, if I said I was going to call you, I was going to call you. Don't be sweating me at my book signing like i'm here this is not the way to hustle like this right. is not the way to do it and i was like all right whatever so i was walking away and a lady was like hey did you say you were a caterer and i was like yeah absolutely she was like oh, good because i have this event for two thousand people next week and i need services so wow. if you can do it let me know and i was like ma'am i just said i was a caterer so yes i can do it <laughs> wow did and she know your work was she familiar with like, no she just overheard right place, me talking right to steve stout yeah talking about catering and then um she was i was like yeah why don't we just do a tasting she's like all right i'll come to your offices so i did this these events for this affluent couple in um in harlem in strivers row mm -hmm. it was actually the place where i met that girl that that you were dating that was dating that introduced <laughs> me to steve stout or whatever and um i would ask them if i could use their house as my own <laughs> to book this catering fake event. it fake it yeah so <laughs> so yeah i mean they thought it was hilarious so they hit upstairs and as soon the as the family that owned the house hit upstairs, hit upstairs. Oh my God. in their own in their own mansion in the middle of harlem and in, in strivers row where like langston hughes probably those lived. are some good people they were good they were good and um they she came in she had her partner with her and i mean they thought i was like the black count like <laughs> i had this dope ass crib i was like 21 years old <laughs> And I was hoping they didn't, like, see the pictures of random black people all over the house because, you know, it was just, it was not my house. Right. And honestly, it was, it was over when they walked in the door. Like, I did the tasting and you it was great. You sold them great. just from, like, just the, the image, exactly. the, perception the perception of who you were. The finesse. And Interesting. Like, what? They barely finished their food and they wrote me a check for $20,000. 
Damn. So, where, where did the courage and the boldness to do something like that come from? Because I feel like I'm always like, oh, God, they'll, they'll, they'll see right through out. me. They'll be like, who is this girl from or PG I, County or, trying to prove that she lives here? Right. Or, think, or I think I'm shooting too low as far as, like, what I'm trying to fake it to I make it sort of, like, on Instagram, for instance. Like, why? Like, there's no need to sort of have that sort of persona there. So it's, like, figuring out where it's sort of meaningful and important to do so and, mm-hmm. like, where it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you walk in confidence in, in most things, people will believe what you're saying, but you have to have the skill and the talent to back it up. Right. Yeah. So, like, if you don't have the money to afford a $7 million home in the middle of, you know, Harlem, right? but you do have the culinary talents to do it, mm-hmm. you're just using it as a stepping stone to get to where you need to be. Right. I think people that are actually faking it until they make it and they have no substance with them, I think they're on a course for a dead end but right i've been cooking since i was five years old mm-hmm. my mother had a catering company in, in my house so. you were cooking at five yeah my mother started a catering company in what? in our house in the bronx and she so had no employees so me and my sister had to help out what yeah. were you helping her make um she i mean she did like creole food and african and caribbean food mm-hmm. so like shrimp etouffee and gumbo mm-hmm. and jambalaya and suya and jollof rice and a goosey stew and things like that but I learned a lot of technique at a very young age so you know with that opportunity I knew I was using that home as a facade Mm -hmm. but then I knew I could actually back back up the -hmm. work if I got the work yeah you know and I feel like you just need that opportunity sometimes yeah and how you get that opportunity no one needs to worry about you just need that seven million dollar door open exactly (laughs) exactly so so I take it that event that they hired you for went well. We it wasn't a it. complete disaster. We crushed it. I mean, I called my mom for some help, and she flew up from New Orleans. Called mom for backup. I, I love needed it. some backup. She taught me how to um, how to prep and purchase for that many people. Was that your first gig that was that big? Yeah. 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 I don't think I've ever even done a gig that big since. Really? Two thousand people. That's like a lot of yeah, people. That's a lot. That's crazy. Um. So yeah, we crushed it, and uh, that lady actually became my mentor afterwards. And introduced me to like people in the food network and would like wow. kind of like guide my my path afterwards. And we're actually doing a, a panel on the main stage at South by Southwest this year. No kidding. Oh, yeah. wow. Did you ever tell her that story? She read it in the book. She read it. <laughs> what was her response? <laughs> she was hitting me. She was like, I could have lost everything. What the hell is wrong with oh, you? Like wow. laughing, but like yeah. seriously upset. Wow. Yeah. Moral to the story. Fake it till you make it. But we're still cool to this day, so it's all good. That's dope. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Kwame about his life right now with Kip and Ken and how he got there. We'll be right back. Sounds good. Welcome back to Black and Lit. 
Today we have celebrity chef Kwame Onwachi. He is the, I love saying that. She knows I hate that. <laughs> it's just so fun to say. <laughs> he is the executive chef of Kith and Ken. He's a James Beard award winning chef based here in D.C. Kwame has been talking to us today about how he got started in this game and he hustled to get here and it's really super admirable. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But what's even more admirable, I think, is your bounce back story, which is is really incredible, in my opinion. And I remember this because I had just moved to D.C., I think, around this time from New York. Um, and I think you were about 24 years old-ish. I don't know when, when you, you moved back, so. so when you first <laughs> opened the Shaw Bijou, which was your yeah, first yeah, yeah. I was restaurant. Yeah, 23, 24, yeah. 23, 24, you got this crazy opportunity to open your very first restaurant, which was a tasting menu. Mm-hmm. I think something like $180 or $190 a head. Mm-hmm. So like the real deal, fine dining. And then you shuttered it 11 months later. Yeah, it was a pop-up. It was know? a pop-up. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to come in and come out. I know? like that little I spin. like that. <laughs> It's almost like a publicist came up with that. (laughs) If only. If only. But honestly, I mean, I think this is something that, you know, a lot of people go through setbacks and some of them are even worse. (laughs) You know, they lose like half their livelihood. Mm -hmm. But you came back and you came back in a really big way. Did you ever consider quitting cooking after that? Absolutely. Really? Definitely. You were going to just like. For a couple seconds, and, and then I was like, like move on you to know, something else. mama didn't raise no sucker, sucker, no, <laughs> or other other words I was gonna say. But you um, can say whatever you want on here. <laughs> but no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you always have these these moments of self doubt, right. even when things are going swimmingly. It's right. like, when is this gonna end? Is thing like, is this just happening for a season? You know, um, when the restaurant closed, it was my every. I, I mean, even though I was young and I was just started it was my first restaurant Mm -hmm. i felt it was so public that i there was no way i could come back from this moment right um and then i took a step back and thought about my life story up until this point and how where i come from people don't even make it this far you know where i come from what i did was making it (laughs) you know and anything Mm -hmm. else happens is i'm playing with house money at that point Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's all a win. So I decided to keep going, you know, and I secretly actually opened a restaurant shortly after. I opened a restaurant a month later. I never really told anybody about it. You opened Kitten Kin a month later? Or no, another? what is this like restaurant? restaurant? What is the secret restaurant? Uh, it was called Gorsha. Oh. And it was an Ethiopian it? restaurant. It was in Union Market. No kidding. Really? And I just wanted to cook again. And how long did you have that going? It just closed like a month ago. Really? Yeah. Really? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I've, I've never told never, anybody this. I haven't read Is yeah. this an exclusive to like, Black and Lit on Full Service Radio? It's a Black radio? and Lit what? exclusive, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Why didn't you want to put it out there? Or sort because of... I just wanted to cook without media in my face. Mm. I wanted to cook without having to answer interviews. I wanted to cook without having to answer emails about why I was doing an inspiration behind this and wow. this, that, and the third. I just yeah. wanted to fucking cook, you know, mm. get yeah. back to what I came into this game doing. Yeah. So... I actually just hid in the kitchen, and I had my friend act as the owner and chef, and I just cooked. And that was it. I cooked Ethiopian food. I did Ethiopian fast casual. I did little bowls of Ethiopian food, and wow. you can wow. get your, like, crunchy injera on top, and 
you I know. I feel like, like I remember right in this anonymous. in Union Market. Yeah. yeah. It was open for what? Like It was open for like years? a year. Yeah, almost two years. Yeah. It's called Gorsha. Yeah, it was towards the end near Fishwife and... Um, How did I miss great. out on eating here? I bet everybody at Eater is going to be so mad be, that they didn't tight. know. <laughs> they, I mean, it's funny because like Andrew Zimmerman, who's a really good friend of mine now, yeah. he came because he had a show called uh, The AZ List. Mm-hmm. And it was like dope-ass restaurants in different countries. And he came to Gorsha, but I couldn't come out of the kitchen because I, I didn't want anyone to know that I was a part of it. Wow. So I... Just in the back. That's and impressive I, that you were able to hide that secret for yeah. that long. I was, like, I was as a upset. Food publicist, but I was like, upset. I'm shocked. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I was just upset. Like I mm. thought there were many reasons of why Shabuju closed. I mean, there was a lack of capital. You know, there were critics that came in and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was right. a public that was like generally like pitchfork and like you know tiki torch. Like fuck this restaurant. Why do you think yeah. that was the case? I don't like, know. Why do you I mean, think I people... can ponder my own. Came in with their own opinions before. I can think of, you know, I can ponder and say maybe it was because I was black, maybe because I was young, maybe because I'm not from D.C. Mm -hmm. I don't know. People had this idea of, like, you know, you have to pay your dues. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't reach, you know, a high level of success too young because it means you didn't truly work (laughs) for it. Do you feel like that could have been a reason? Absolutely. Did you experience that? Absolutely. I think that was a majority of the reason, but a lot of those people that are saying that aren't, they don't come from where I come from. Mm-hmm. So they don't know what the fuck it really means to pay your dues. They don't know how much it doesn't work know, to get it doesn't, here. Yeah, they don't know how many like people aren't alive that I grew up with, that we paid our dues at a younger age from like playing the game to the point where we can stay alive. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't listen to that shit, but I know that that was a huge factor in it. But it right. didn't come from our people. It came from, like, people on the outside looking in. Like, oh, this kid is probably privileged because he got an opportunity to open up this $2 million restaurant mm-hmm. at 23. When, like, <laughs> you have no idea the conditions of what I've lived in up yeah. until this point and how I've made it for my people. Right. So I think there was a lot of misconceptions. But also, like, it's not my job to really decipher what the fuck other people's mindsets were in that situation you know it was for me to like figure out how to continue going and keep doing what i was put on this earth to do which Mm. is to please people in any way that is you know i'm I'm a i believe in true hospitality it's like it's making sure people are good and making Mm -hmm. sure people are full and making sure people are happy in any way that i can do that yeah and you guys do that very very well at kith and ken i appreciate i mean you obviously after all of this happened with the Shah Bijou, you were given this incredible opportunity, mm-hmm. um, a restaurant deal with the Intercontinental Hotel in the Wharf, which is, if you don't know, like a $2 billion mm-hmm. development yeah. on it's the crazy. Southwest waterfront here in D.C. And you landed on the idea of doing Afro-Caribbean food. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like that was a risk? <laughs> were you like, yeah. Yeah, fuck mem- it, I'm just going to do what I want now? I remember being in the boardroom <laughs> And I didn't even know I was, they were going to ask me my concept or anything, but I had a kind of an idea of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, so, Kwame, what's your pitch? And I was like, um, Afro-Caribbean cuisine. Mm-hmm. And I remember the whole boardroom going silent. Were you the only black man I was the, man I was the only black man. It was a room. whole boardroom of, of, wow. of white guys. There was a French guy on Shocker. a conference call, on the phone, on the <laughs> middle middle attention. console shit. Like, no, not, no, he was paying attention, but he was, like, calling in. Oh, wow. And the first thing was, like, what is Afro-Caribbean food? What does that mean? 
And then the French guy's like, why don't we do skewers? <laughs> skewers <laughs> and Greek, Greek cuisine. <laughs> We're on the wharf. And I was just yeah. like, and that moment, it was one of those fight or fight moments that like I had, you know, whether I was doing the catering events and like faking my way till I make it, but also that like, fuck it mentality. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, listen, my name is Kwame Onwachi. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> and I'm not doing Greek food. I'm right. doing Afro Caribbean cuisine, and I can teach you what that is. But don't start s- spurting out random cuisines that I'm just gonna piggyback on because of the location. It's more mm-hmm. than that. And I did research on it was the meeting, uh, one of the largest meeting grounds for enslaved Africans and Native Americans yeah. in that area. It was where the largest slave outbreak happened on the wharf, where mm-hmm. a slave commandeered the ship and, and went down the Potomac. That was where, like, Georgetown University sold, sold slaves, sold the yeah. slaves in where, order to pay back their own debt. Where my close spot. family member, Aunt Maxime, was is the last descendant from that group. You know what wow. I mean? And yeah. I discovered that from doing research and scrolling down and looking at the New York Times and seeing a picture of Aunt Maxime there. Wow. And I'm wow. like, holy shit. Like, no, this is what I got to do. You know, yeah. this is what I need to represent. And I have a strong, you know, call it crazy or whatever, but like whatever my feeling is, I just go with it. Yeah. In my personal personal life or professionally, I I just go with my instincts. And discovering all these these things, it made me feel that this is what I needed to do. So I I presented in the boardroom. They were, The gas, you know, the white yeah. gasp and stuff. And yeah. I just pushed through and I powered through. Yeah, and it was like you weren't you weren't going to suppress mm-hmm. your historical self. You were like, this has to be represented mm-hmm. in this space for so many more reasons beyond the, just, beyond just me. business plan. Yeah. But how did you even get invited into that boardroom to begin with after a failure like that? Like, they how had a do you... couple people that went to the Shaw Bijou and it was dope. And they said they wanted to see this continue on. Mm, wow. I also had advocates there that were behind the scenes, you know, right. that were just like, you know, there was this um, this woman that worked there and she was brown from the Middle East and she didn't want to see a Mediterranean restaurant on the wharf. She wanted yeah. to see something that was a little <laughs> bit more impactful. Um, so she was a silent ally for me at that time, you know, mm. and I, I had allies and I had allies from peers who was director of marketing also mm-hmm. to ownership that reached out to me directly that had friends that came to the Shaw Bijou and really enjoyed it wow that's wow. I want to say that's lucky like I was just about to say that's very lucky but it's not I feel like you worked hard for that yeah and you actually sure. like that skill backing up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. serendipity I guess you could say that's a good way to put it yeah I like that <laughs> <laughs> um so there, I came across this story. Um, there's this writer, Ernest Owens, and he wrote about the Philadelphia food scene, but I feel like you can apply this to like the national food scene. And he was saying that, you know, we often see white writers and critics writing mostly for white audiences mm-hmm. and covering mostly white-owned restaurants that cater to mostly white people. And obviously a lot of the press that you got with the closing of your first restaurant was super negative, mm-hmm. even before the closing. And now you're kind of like this media darling. I feel like every other day it's some like glowing story about you or what have you. Do you ever feel like that you're being tokenized in the media? That's a good question because mm-hmm. my friend actually asked me that the other day. Um, no, I don't think I feel like I'm being tokenized. Mm-hmm. I, I would feel like I was being tokenized if I didn't earn what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I feel that in a sense, you, you can't leave me out of the equation if you're talking about, you know, roundups of this year or like people that have defined, you know, the food scene of, of what's going on. I think with Afro-Caribbean cuisine, there hasn't really been a pioneer of someone doing this. So I think it's something that's new and that's fresh um, and that's different for black food writers and white food writers mm -hmm. and also my redemption and continuing to push forward even though shit didn't work out right so i think if if i'm a token of anything it's a token of Amer american ingenuity of that dream of mm -hmm. continuing to push even though shit doesn't work out for you right hmm. perseverance it is a beautiful thing going into Kith and Kin and seeing a lot of black and brown faces. Yeah. I feel like at luxury restaurants, especially in the wharf, you know, these new developments in D.C. that are popping up where the restaurants are very expensive and often the food doesn't match the price. Like you go to Kith and Kin and you see a lot of people that look just like you. And yeah. Mm -hmm. I have one friend refreshing. that works there, actually. Ooh. Travis. Yeah, Travi. Yep. Yeah. Travi. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I used to work with him at Maketo, and then he told me that he was going over to Kith and Ken. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I have to come visit you while you're working there. But yeah, I haven't gone yet, but it's still on my list of places. You gotta come by and check still. it out. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about your book. How did you come to write a memoir at such a young age? Usually people write memoirs when mm -hmm. they're like 60 or If 50 they live that old. Yeah. <laughs> How get, did you come to write chance. a memoir at like I mean, 20? I got a chance to write a memoir, you know. Mm. Um, I, did, I, I used to do a lot of speeches, especially in like in the Bronx and inner cities about my story because, you know, I look young um, and people could relate to me whether I was going out of high school or elementary school or things like that. Right. So um, I got a chance to do one at Bitten. It was a food conference in New York City mm -hmm. and there happened to be a prominent literary agent in the crowd. And I told her, my, I just told my story. It was in true Kwame fashion, just mm -hmm. like, fuck this, whatever, whatever <laughs> happens, happens. I'm cursing, I'm doing whatever I want. And she's like, this is extremely compelling. You know, like, have you ever thought to write this down? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no. And she was like, all right, well, I can be your literary agent. And I, I'm certain I can sell this as a book. Wow. And I was just like, how much is this going to cost me? You know, and she was like, I don't get paid till you get paid. So. If we put our heads together and write this proposal, we'll we'll get this done. So we wrote a proposal. It was like sixty pages long, and um, what we was sold that process it. like? I it mean, was, cathartic, was it you know like it was very therapeutic, like mm -hmm. <clears throat> reliving moments that mm -hmm. you kind of wanted to forget, but you knew added like some juice to a story. So yeah. um, it was tough, and also it was very. Um, like, I had to be very disciplined to get this done because I was also in the midst of opening a restaurant. Right. I had just moved to D.C. So, like, I could go out every single night, but some nights I'd be like, no, I have to, like, sit and write my book, you know, write right. my proposal. And I got it done, and I had, like, 10 offers from different publishing houses, and um, wow. that was it. And that's wow. so yeah. And then it's now getting turned into a movie yeah. with Lakeith Steinfeld, which is... It was wild. Yeah. I mean, I remember the day it happened... Well, it was already going around Hollywood before it even came out. Like the um, the galley, really was like Ava DuVernay was like DMing me and like Issa Rae was hitting the me queen. up. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> and I was just like, this is crazy. And um, I was, it was the day of the James Beard Awards, mm. and we always go to Avec. It's like a yeah. It's like a tradition. So it's like a restaurant me, in Chicago. Karen Akunowitz, um, my mom, my fiance, like we always just go there right before the beard awards. Yeah. I always go to support my friends every year anyway. Right. And I get this phone call and it's like, Hey, this is um 
you know, Bernie Barta from CAA. It's like an agency in, um, mm-hmm. in L.A., like the top agency. It's like we have Lakeith Stanfield on the line. He wants to talk to you. And I was like. It was actually him on the line. Lakeith Stanfield? <laughs> Who is, I mean, if you don't know, he is a major actor. He's in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to bother you. Most recently, yeah. Knives Out. Which Knives I Out. That Get was Out. Amazing. Get, get out. out. How can I forget? Get out. Get out. Yeah. He said the words <laughs> get in out. everything. And he is set to play you mm-hmm. in a movie. And he called me. He was like, yo, bro, like, I just read your stories. Like, it's... It kind of sounds like him, actually. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. a good impression. <laughs> it's like, it really resonated with me. Like, you know, I would be honored to play you. Wow. And I was like, hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> Were you I in a vet when this I was, I was outside. I was freezing. No. And I was like, out in the vestibule. And I was just like. I got a lot of offers. Let me call you back and like I'll let you know if. <laughs> Why? Why would you say that to him? Like that, I actually though. did That's have crazy. a lot of offers though. Okay. Because they um like ABC wanted to turn it into a TV show. Mm-hmm. The guys from Narcos wanted to turn it into a Netflix series. Like and, <laughs> and I Narcos. Wanted, how did you choose between all those? Like, um, what I mean, was the I, deciding factor? You think? I wanted something that wasn't going to like totally dramatize the story. Mm. I wanted someone that wasn't going to turn it into this like whole black kid story that like mm-hmm. overcame selling drugs like even though that's loves that even though that's yeah. like kind of what it, i didn't want it to be like sensationalized of like right of the only thing we can become is like from black you know poor projects to like this drug dealing and then yeah, yeah. so i just weighed all my options and i went with what spoke to me and it was mm-hmm. these two young guys under 30 hadn't really done a lot mm. and they wanted to turn it into a movie and wow. they were so excited on the phone they were like fumbling over each other like no but then we're gonna do this and we're gonna like <laughs> it's amazing like you know you know you brother like your story like oh even gosh. if you don't go with us i want this to be told in the best way and like oh, wow. when people say that to me it really resonates like mm-hmm. that like even if we're not with you like mm-hmm. we want this to be in the best hands and they've done some really cool stuff but they haven't done like a major feature like this yeah and um but they had the power of a24 behind them huge which did moonlight and other movies and and they partnered with lakeith and they came as a package and Mm. just talking to them it was just like man their excitement is exciting me about this as opposed to like talking to other places like yeah so we've done this is us we've done all this stuff so like if you want to come to us it's we're gonna turn your thing into like a major feature, like family thing. Like I'm, you should be happy <laughs> and I'm like, to like okay, be coming to like, them. I appreciate that, but also I'm not trying to, like, my I don't think my shit is like ABC, you know? Right. right. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a little bit more than that, but also I want something that really represented the story. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to take away from that and have explosions and right, right, I wanted right. it to be very, very true to what it is and mm-hmm. what it, what it can mean to so many black and brown faces seeing themselves. In something that is totally unconventional. That is powerful. There, yeah. There's no chef movies hmm. about someone of color at all. No. So, so yeah. So that's why I went with with Lakeith, and that's why I went with Randy, and I went with Steven, and we're gonna make this dope movie, and I'm so excited about it. So, if you had to direct Lakeith to fully embody you mm-hmm. and who you are, what would you tell him to say and do? Um. I don't know. That's a hard question. <laughs> I mean, I would just have him hang out with me for, for a mm. while, you know, like hang out with me in the kitchen, see what my mannerisms are like. Yeah. You know, see me out in the dining room with people and things like that. Yeah. Has he come to Kith and Ken yet? Not yet. Not okay. yet. No. We got to get him in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big part of it. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to come. He's going to shadow me for a little bit and get to know my mannerisms and everything. But right. we, we, we've been out to dinner and talked about it all and... 
That's cool. Yeah. When can we expect the movie to come out? Um, two years from now. So we're shooting in the fall. Okay. okay. So usually like a year of like editing and promoting and stuff like that. Okay. So if you need extras, I mean, me and Priscilla are Absolutely. available. Absolutely. I feel like you got some little, <laughs> you got some kitten kin vibes going on. <laughs> uh, I'm so disappointed. We have run out of time. I feel uh, like there's so much forever. more I want talk to talk to you about Kwame, but I'm so happy you came through here. It's all good. Yeah, this it's has been good. amazing. One last question before we, we go. One last question. And we're going to make it right. super One quick surprise before question. Alexia kills All us. Right. That we <laughs> like to ask before we end our show. Okay. If you had a soundtrack to your life, if you're just like in the kitchen, whipping up some, some great food, what would be playing in the background? What song would there be? The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. The whole album? The whole album. Start yes. to finish. Yeah. <laughs> or Reasonable favorites. Doubt. Okay. okay. And if Payton Full has a soundtrack, that whole <laughs> motherfucker, the whole thing. <laughs> but no, Miseducation Mis- of Lauryn Hill is something that I play when I'm happy, when I'm sad. It's just It just hits all emotions. Yeah, so. I agree. I feel you. It's a classic. Yeah, it's yeah. classic. Kwame, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. Please go see Kwame at his restaurant, Kith and Kin. It's in DC's Wharf Development. As you know, you can find us on Instagram at B-L-C-K-N-L-I-T online at blackandlit.org. We're super proud to partner with Full Service Radio. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And we will see you next year in 2020. See you you next year. (laughs) Peace. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full-service radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full-service radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.